Podcast. In the United States, over 20 million Americans suffer from addiction. Today on the Pop-Off with Martise, I have two very special guests, very good friends of mine, and two recovering addicts. Okay, so me and April are here talking to Sean, John, and Dave on our addiction special. So welcome to the Pop-Off, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So you guys are addicts that are in recovery. Yeah. So do you guys want to tell us your story? Who wants to go first? Go ahead, Sean. All right. Uh, well, uh, first, you know, um, I like to identify myself, you know, in things, situations like this. It's like, Sean, I'm an addict, you know, in recovery. And, um, you know, a little bit of, like, my story, I would say – was like, um, you know, I, I struggled with uh, with addiction to, uh, you know what I mean, uh, pain pills and heroin and, you know I mean, any mood or mind altering thing, chemical possible that could uh, get me outside of myself. And like through that process, taking my, taking my life to depths that like I never thought I would ever get to in um, getting away from my morals and values and, um, the respect that I've had for myself and for others, um, you know, in order just to get the next one you mm-hmm. know, by any means possible. And there's, there was a lot of ugly that I've, I've, I've done, you know, putting myself in dangerous situations, um, you know, lying to my family, stealing from my family and, um, taking them through hell pretty much, um, was a, was a rough road, like really crazy. And I, I went on for years, you know, many, many years. And, like, I can't say that, like, I had a bad childhood or anything. Like, I was raised with and had everything and anything I possibly could have wanted. Uh-huh. Like, I was a brat. Like, you know that. All right. <laughs> I, I know your family. Right. So it's – and you have a supportive family, which I'm sure that when you wanted to get sober, that was a lot easier. Huge, huge. Um, I definitely know that I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for them never mm-hmm. giving up on me. I actually remember the day that you came over to my apartment and you said, please don't tell anybody. You said, but I'm going to rehab. Mm-hmm. And I said, I won't say anything. Right. And I just remember, like, I was so happy for you because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I saw, you know, what you were doing, but it, I, you know, it wasn't my place to say anything. Right. And I was just kind of like, okay. And then, like, I saw the changes and then I saw... Like when you came back and then what I really saw was when you started like posting on Facebook about going to meetings and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then like how different it was mm-hmm. when you started like actually talking about it right. and being proud about it. Right. Um, like my addiction is something that I've never been ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm grateful for like almost grateful for it and like the position that it has me in life today. Uh, because I'm in a position to give back and help people that have struggled with the same thing I have. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to uh, to hide behind <laughs> it, and I, I try to be as open <clears throat> with it so that I can help other people, you know, and uh, like, because I believe there's a big stigma that is on addiction that people just don't understand, you know what I mean? They don't get it. They don't see a lot of successful addicts that come from, like, active addiction to the other side and become productive, responsible members of society. They become sons, they become husbands, I mean, mothers, sisters, like all these things. And a lot of people 
see the bad, but they don't see the good. So I've always tried to present present the good, you know what I mean, and show that it's possible for people. We're definitely going to get to more about that and the stigmas and what people definitely don't see. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask Dave about his story. Um, sure, I'm Dave uh, Vanasco. I'm a recovering addict. Um, uh, um, I don't know. For me, Martiz, it was I, I struggled with addiction for 20 years. Wow. Um, you know, it started, of course, with the alcohol and the weed, and then it just it just progressed um, to to pills and. You know, and I, I don't need to give you a drug log, but it ended with, uh, you know, shooting heroin and crack um, and being homeless, wow. you know, in and out of jail, you know, in and out of psych wards, in and out of rehabilitation, treatment centers, um, you know, and, and I could say like um, <coughs> through 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 all them years, man, um, I had like <coughs> one moment of clarity and it was, um, I had an apartment at the time, and, like, I, I just, like, looked around, and, and it really hit home that, like, my daughter was gone, my girlfriend was gone, you know, everything in the house was gone, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a horror show, um, and I was like, wow, like, this is where I've ended up, you know, um, so I don't know, man, like, I, I, I finally went to treatment, this last time and I actually like tried to um chase this recovery thing like I chased the drug that's the best way I can put it that actually makes a whole lot of sense yeah for once in my life it you know it worked and um you know I I still to this day I um do what I need to do on a daily basis to stay clean and like I'm constantly um trying to become a, a better person each day uh-huh. you know, I want to be better today than I was yesterday you know and, and there's a lot of things that go into that you know um, my, the, the friends like Sean that I hang around with you know I, I try to surround myself with people that are gonna bring the best out in me uh-huh. you know um, I do my meetings um, I, I, I don't know the higher power thing if we'll talk about that but uh, you know, I pray on a daily basis, and, and um, <clears throat> you know, I just, I, I don't want to be a leech to society no more, um, because like when I was homeless, you know, all I did was take, take, mm-hmm. take, you know, and I try to like give back to that, and you know, Sean hit on it, you know, I try to help others, you know, I, I try, uh, it's cool because like today, like I could be a son, I could be a father, I could be a brother. You know, there were times my younger sister wouldn't come out the room, you know, because of the monster in the other room. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, I just remember family, uh, you know, my grandfather, for instance, who was like my idol, you know, and I remember him saying, like, stay the fuck up out my zip code. You know, it wasn't like, (laughs) stay out my house. It was like, stay out my zip code. And like today... I have a key to his house. Like, I, you know, I, I do things for him. Like, I, I'm dependent. Like, it's so bizarre from one end of the spectrum to where it is now. Uh-huh. You know, and I constantly just, like, 
I constantly look back at where I came from and where I'm at today, and that's like the motivation that I have to keep keep moving. Uh huh. What were both of your low points? A low point for me was uh, I've been to treat. I went to treatment several times, and that was actually going to be another question. Yeah, about. I think I was on my fourth time, and drug and alcohol was like, this is our last time that we're going to help you, so you're going to do A, B, C, and D, or you're never getting this help again. And uh, at that point, I had already hit that, like, I knew I needed to do something different because I knew I was going to die. And, like, they, I've always heard, like, the next one will be your last. It could be your last. And I was like, I go hard in the pain. I am Superman. Nothing's <laughs> taking me out. Like, it was not not me. But I had hit a point where physically, besides being spiritually and emotionally dead, like I was physically dying mm-hmm. and I knew I needed to be, get help. And my grandfather had died and um, seeing the pain that my family and suffering that they were dealing with, like I refused to put them through anymore. I did not want them to stand over my casket and be like, if he only would have got together, I mean, if he just would have stopped. So I knew in that moment, in that mo- the moments of all that going on, that I had to do something different, and I knew that they were. I knew there was a better way. There's so many. I've had friends. I've had family. My dad was in recovery, uh, so I knew there was a better way. Mm-hmm. I just had to start living that way, and yeah, it's in, it's it's just it's mind blowing because like I'm coming up on an anniversary, so. I've been, like, doing a lot of reflecting because, like, June, July, like, my grandfather's birthday, my grandfather passed, my grandpa passed away, then it was his birthday, my anniversary is in August, and, like, that time of year for me three years ago was so, like, so fresh, like, I can remember it, like, the pain and the suffering that I was going through at that time, and it's like, wow, like, unbelievable, and like you said, it's like motivation to keep going because I never want to go back to that, ever. um, that's good that's probably the best thing that you could hear or that you could say right yeah um i've heard a lot of people say like if you remember your last one and the pain that it brought you'll never want another one and um i never ever want another one because that was it was miserable i was so miserable i was not experiencing life i had nothing no ambition i couldn't I was so controlled and locked in a box mm. where nothing was, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go to Boardman. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I couldn't, I couldn't get too far out of uh, Newcastle because I was like, am I going to make it home in time? Cause I'm not dope sick. Right. And, uh, so now like getting out of that box and that freedom from that and being able to live life, it's beautiful. You know, a life that I never in a million years thought I would ever have. Never. And it's still crazy to me. <laughs> you started talking about like the higher power and the steps. Mm-hmm. What are the steps and what are like the most important ones? If there is, if ones are more important than others. Um, there's 12 steps. They even have to help me out on this one because I've only done about six of them. <laughs> but uh, the steps, all of the steps are important and uh, they're put in order for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, you know, first, like, when, you, when in recovery, like, they have, like, a sponsor. Like, I have a sponsor. He has a sponsor. We're actually in the same sponsor family, like, type situation. It gets kind of complicated. But, uh, you know, we have, you have a, a sponsor who guides you through your step working process. And um, so there's 12 of them all together. And, like, first you start with, like, being powerless over your addiction. 
You know what I mean? Like we have no control over what the disease and what the what the power of the drug can do to us and where it takes us to our life, the unmanageability that it causes, uh, you know, the the people that we become uh, truly like accepting like that was that an active addiction and was not us, you know, as people. And so in two, so you get all that acceptance in one and you're realizing like you're not, you're, you're powerless, but there's a big thing that comes out of that stuff. And I've learned that like at the same time being powerless, you gain power because now I have choice. Like before I had no choice, I was powerless and I was like defeated. But once accepting that defeat, I, I gain power all at the same time because now I can choose if I want to put one in me today. If I want to, uh, what situations I want to put myself in. Like, I can do whatever I want. Like, I have no, you know what I mean? It's purely choice at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, two, like, if you want to help me with that one, like being like a power greater than ourselves, restoring us to sanity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I look to, like, Obviously, when you think higher power, like, I, I turned to God at first. Like, I was like, God, 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 this and that. Like, But when I am insane and I'm doing these patterns and these behaviors that are so crazy, like, I need a reality check. So I have, uh, besides my, my higher power, which I call God, like, I have, like, a support group, a solid support group. I have Dave, you know what I mean? I have soldiers, like you said, strong people that help me be better on a regular basis. I have a sponsor like a call and be like, yo, I have this crazy, crazy thinking because like, don't get me wrong. Like I put the drugs down and, uh, cause that was like 10% of my problem. Cause the other 90% is Sean. Like I have a, a war perception and a thinking of that will blow your mind. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so like I need somebody to check me, you know what I mean? And restore me to sanity. And I know God puts, uh, people in my life in situation, in position to help me. And I mean, that's like vessels almost, which is pretty cool. Um, and then like three, you have like turning my will and my life over to a power, what was it, turning my will and my life over to a power greater than myself, mm-hmm. you know? So those first three that are like a foundation, you know, like I'll sum it all up. It's like, I can't, we can, so let him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can do this. We as a group can. So let God work it. You know what I mean? Take my hands off of it, and I'm going to let my, my higher power guide me in my life and in my recovery today. And, like, I say that prayer every morning. Like, God, guide me in my life and my recovery. You know what I mean? Show me how to live. Give me the strength to carry out your will. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, I like it's, there's a, it, we get caught up in self-will versus God's will. You know, and my will sometimes can be not the best for myself. And if I do what I want to, cop, like, to get a feeling, you know what I mean, or put like a, like a, I want to say a, a turnout that I think is best for me instead of work, letting God work in my life and guide me, he puts me in situations that are greater than I could ever want for myself, you know, and letting like the process happen of life and like going with, like going with life instead of going against it. Like, my sponsor tells me all the time, life is like a river. Either you flow with it or you flow against it. And when you flow with life, it's a lot easier. But when you go against it, that's when the pain and struggle happens. So I try to, like, go with life, you know, even though I don't like the outcome all the time because, like you said, I'm spoiled and I thought life revolved around me. It was a Sean show. And recovery kind of smashed that for me because it's not the Sean show. (laughs) There's a bigger picture of the things. And uh, really being able to look at the bigger picture of life and uh, 
experiencing life and going with the flow of life and doing that I've been able to end up in situations where I never dreamt possible like even this like I've always wanted to do something like this and instead of you know me um like trying to force it and like whatever like in other situations where I could have like just being like when God wants me to do something he will right and like here it is and that's pretty cool that's uh and even if it helps one person right that's all that matters. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put, like, links in the show description to, you know, where people can get help. And if people have questions, mm-hmm. you know, for you guys, they can email me. And then I'd like to have you guys on again, you know, like I said before. Absolutely. So that way if people have, you know, questions. Yeah. Um, how often do you guys go to meetings? And then, April, I'll let you ask some, some questions. <laughs> okay. Um, I go as much as I can. Um <clears throat> You know, we have to. The, I don't want to say it. You know, we. I've tried everything, Marquise, from medication to psychiatrists mm-hmm. to institutions to um, hypnosis, rapid eye movement. <laughs> you know, the acupuncture thing. Like we tried it all, and like, like I, I keep thinking back to to. You know, when I was in active addiction, I came home one night and my whole family's in the living room. And there's like 30 people, you know, and they're all the intervention and they all had the intervention like the show. And they're all reading and they're all sobbing, like, just stop, just put it down, just put it down. Like what the society don't understand is when we're in active addiction, like we cannot put it down. The choice that he's talking about is gone. There is no choice. The disease... You wake up in the morning and the disease says, suit up, motherfucker, march. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, there's no um, ch- choice. Like, I have to do this. You know, so when I go to treatment and, and they tell me when, when I graduate and I get my nice little certificate mm-hmm. and they say, um, okay, now you need to go to N.A., Narcotics Anonymous mm-hmm. means. You know, and for me, like I said, I simplify it. Like Narcotics Anonymous and the 12 steps that, that Sean was talking about is my medication. So I go as often as I can. You know, when I work out of town a lot. Um, so when I'm out of town, I hit out of town meetings. But when I'm when I'm laid off like I am now, I go twice a day, you know, every day, unless I got some stuff going on. But like if, if that's what I got to do to. Be the best individual Dave can be. I'm game. You know, sign me up. I heard somebody say one time, like, if there was a a cancer patient dying of cancer, and they said the only thing you have to do is go to this meeting once a day for an hour, I bet that person would do it. So, when after like with having the disease of addiction, yeah, I mean that's there's a, a constant maintenance that has to happen in that process, and some people don't understand that. And a lot of people that don't understand, they be like, why can't you just quit? Why can't you just do this? You know what I mean? Why just stop? Like, it's it's not that easy, um, especially when you're so caught up. And even, like, today, like, my family, they don't understand. Like, I, I have, like, life happen. I have work. I have, I mean, school at one point. I have this or that. And uh, everything's going on. They're like, well, you need to cut something out of your out of your routine. You know what I mean? I said, well, I go to work. I have meetings. I have school. I have you, you know what I mean? I have my friends, which I need. Which one do you want me to cut out? And they're like, well, can't you not go to meetings? No, absolutely not. That rest is just trash after that. But wouldn't, I, I feel like a routine would be good. Because, mm-hmm. right. you know, you're sticking to it, and you're as if you're sticking to it, right. it keeps you, like, 
on the right path. Oh, yeah. I, I guess. I, I would think. Yeah, for sure. I, because like, in the initial 90 days, it teaches you, it's a, like, you know, they suggestion, like, do 90 meetings in 90 days. You know, get a support group, get a sponsor, all that stuff. So, for 90 days, so I did, like, that probably times 10. And, uh, so, waking up every morning at 11, like, I like clockwork, now my body's like, it's 10.30, like, I should be on my way to the meeting, uh-huh. you know what I mean, if I'm not at work, or, you know what I mean, oh, it's getting to be 6.30, 7 o'clock, it's time to go to a meeting, you know, I'm, it's like programmed now yeah. at this point, um, and it becomes like a second nature, so that when life is showing up, and I need help, and I know I'm struggling, like, I get my ass to a meeting, you know. And I know that you guys talked about, like, support groups, because I know, like, I've talked, or I've talked, I've heard about people that... They go to rehab and then they go back to the same group of people and the same places that they were hanging out and they fall back into the same things because right. you have to change everything, everything. Right. your lifestyle, the people that you were hanging out with, the places. Right. There's uh, there's such like levels to it, I guess, that people like because people just look at like oh they look at like oh. Uh, you know what I mean? I stopped using drugs, you know what I mean? I'm cured, like, that's it, you know? But there's, like, so much that, like, goes underneath it and behind it. Like, they say, like, you have to change one thing, and that's everything, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I can't, uh, many times I would come home and I would go right back to my old friends, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, well, I'm, I look good, I feel good, like, I'm going to show them how good I am right now, and, and the next thing I know, I'm right next to them with a needle in my arm, <laughs> like, <laughs> time after time. So, like, coming home this time... I had to uh, not do that, and I had to let that that lifestyle go because there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of unmanageability in that life that like I don't need in my life today. Like there's no purpose of it mm-hmm. like, at all. So now adapting to this new life where there's new pe- people, there's new places, and there's new things that I do on a daily basis, and a lot of people don't understand that. I had a friend that like I used with, and like he went to prison for a long time, and finally's out and like has like this hard feeling that like I won't hang out with him. Well on Snapchat I just seen like you got eighteen bottles of this and that and I'm rolling a blunt, you know what I mean? It's like after I why am I gonna put myself around that? Right. For what? You know? There's no what am, what am I gonna do? Sit there and talk recovery to you while you're down you know, a bottle of whatever. Right. Know, like where are we jiving at? We have nothing in common. Mm-hmm. And that's where the support group comes in because like, we have common interests, we have common bonds, you know, common struggles, and uh, that's huge, you know, to have somebody that understands you and can help you on a regular basis. Um, the support group piece for me is huge, like, it's so huge. There's been many times, and throughout this, like, I know that I wouldn't have made it through without it, you know, mm-hmm. because of my father, when I had 90 days clean, you know, my support group were soldiers and showed up for me and held me down when I couldn't hold myself up. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Joe Schmo off the street, one of the, my buddies, they wouldn't have understood that, like, I need somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a crisis situation at this point. So, so how long have you been clean? Uh, it'll be three years, August 2nd. And you've been clean for? Three years in November. Wow. And you both made mention to heroin. Mm-hmm. I just lost a cousin mm-hmm. to heroin. Um, he overdosed. And, you know, it just seems like when you get into heroin, you have two ways out. Mm-hmm. You either wind up in jail mm-hmm. or you die. Absolutely. 
And I have two younger brothers who are recovering addicts as well. Okay. Um, I have my youngest brother is 28 years old, and he, I mean, he, you name it, he's done it. Um, he has taken every kind of pill, um, you know, oxycodone, he has chewed them up, he has shot them, he snorted them, heroin, all of it. At 28, his body just completely gave out on him. And he ended up in the hospital for a month. He was life flighted to Pittsburgh with bleeding ulcers. And he bled out three times that in one week. I mean, they had given him literally... 27 units of blood from start to finish and he's doing well you know he's home now um and you know he he's it's it's a day-by-day thing he's not gonna go to rehab and he, he does go to the clinic but I mean listening to the both of you I mean it's so Great to know that it doesn't have to be one of those two options. You can come out on the other side of it. Absolutely. Um, in a 12-step program, I mean, it, it teaches us, you know, that we don't need a moon or my altering any type of, you know, I mean, not to bash the uh, clinic or any of that, but, like, we don't, they try to probably not to need anything of that nature, you know, to, uh, thank you, to, uh, on a, I mean, to help because like there you gain tools that can help you succeed in that. Uh, but like I get, there's been times where like when I when I, when I first got clean, I like we talking about like coming home and going back to the same crew and doing the same. I did that. You know what I mean? I relapsed as soon as I came home this time. And after a couple of days, I was like, wait a minute, like you're about to go back down this road. So like I got on a suboxone maintenance program, um, which is similar to a, a clinic type of situation. Right. But uh. I knew it wasn't something I wanted permanent. It was long enough just to like build my foundation, that like a solid foundation that like I could, you know, what I mean, learn how to cope with life as it happened. Because like I didn't know how to deal with life. Like my instant, my first reaction was, okay, I'm gonna run and get high. I'm gonna escape everything. You know, what I mean, maybe it'll go away, but it's not real. Life's still happening as it goes on. I didn't agree with him. He because he was in the hospital for so long. They had weaned him off of everything Mm -hmm. that he had been on. And he had been clean for a few months prior to that, Mm -hmm. but just with the methadone and, you know. um, So while he was in the hospital, they they slowly just, he went through his withdrawals and, you know, they had things to help him through that. And I can remember being so happy because it was like his body was just free of everything, Mm -hmm. everything. And when he decided that he was going to go back, his doctors actually, he had just had major, major surgery. Um, And Martise and I were actually talking to my mom today. He had gone back down to Pittsburgh to, um, you know, he has a foot long incision, Uh um, you know, from them going in and having to replace, you know, and and just stop all of the bleeding and stuff. Um, But... They had offered him, they had given him pain pills because he had just had major surgery. Mm -hmm. They were gone. 60 pain pills were gone in a week. And when he went back, you know, his nurse had said, you know, do you want me to give you something 
And it was a huge step for him. He said, no, I don't trust myself. I know that I'll abuse them. But we were talking earlier and it's, you know, like the the doctors and nurses, it's like, it's a catch 22. They have to give you something for pain. But in a lot of ways, it creates the addiction. They don't have like the education and awareness of what truly an addict is. Like I have to have surgery in two weeks on my throat. Oh. And uh, I've had surgery before. I've seen my buddy broke his tibula or whatever, the strongest bone in his arm, shattered it completely. Um, and they're like, pain pills, pain pills, pain pills. Even for me, they're like, pain pills. I'm like, I don't want any pain pills because, like, my body doesn't know the difference between, and my mind especially, know the difference between, like, we're going to fix some pain. This is uh, just for pain <laughs> or this is fun or, right. you know, what, yeah. So I opt not to have that stuff, you know. I'm up front right where the doctor's right up front. Like, I'm an addict. I can't have this. You know what I mean? I don't want that. Like, I remember I had I had a, uh, I had a MRSA that was like a, like an abscess on my leg because I, I had an ingrown hair or whatever, and like up until the point of like laying on the like in the surgery room, you know what I mean, the OR being like, I do not give me anything that I don't need, and they're like, Are you sure it might not work? Blah blah blah. You might. I'm like, Well, then if it doesn't work, then you do what you gotta do. But I'm telling you, like, I mean, up to the last second, like, of laying on the bed, being like, No, <laughs> like, no more, and they just don't. They don't get it. They really don't. So would you agree then? I mean, that him being able to say. Oh, don't give that to huge. me. When I got clean, I had 12 abscesses on my body. I was in, in the hospital. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, like Sean said, my, I don't, my body doesn't know if, if I got the pill on the corner or if I got it in the hospital. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that, that for him is huge. Like, huge. I, I compare, like, um, I'm big on analogies. <laughs> You know, I, I, I look at, like, me me and the drug, like, me in a sick, twisted relationship mm-hmm. with a woman. Yep. You know, and I, I think back of how many um, sick, distorted relationships I was in and, like, how I could not get away. You know, I could not get away. And, like, the only thing that has ever um, got me some distance between me and the female or me and the drug was, was to be in a facility, you know, long enough where, um, my, yeah, I got off, I weaned myself off or, or got detoxed and like a lot, (coughs) I I hate to say it, but society thinks, you know, you put their son or daughter in treatment for 28 days and they're going to come out and it just goes away. Good. Yeah. You, you clean the system, but the head's a mess, The, the head's a mess. And that's why, um, you know, there's such a high relapse rate once they leave treatment. Um, you know, there's so, if you think about how long we, we've used, we've programmed ourselves. You know, we're like that computer. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's like deprogramming. Right. <laughs> and know, that's where that even makes sense. The steps come into order to change our perceptions and our thinking patterns and our behaviors, because those are all major keys of things that uh, contribute to our addiction. So in the steps and having somebody to guide you through that is able to change your perception on how you even view life, period. Like there was things throughout my steps that like I had a view for the last 29 years on 
and somebody was able to like check me on that and say that's not real and I mean this maybe you should look at it this way and I'm like whoa like that's crazy Mm -hmm. I mean and there's a lot of freedom that comes after that um the huge huge things that uh have completely that steps and the program that I, I mean the, that I attend have been able to change my perception on the whole view of life. Like I said earlier, it was like it's not all about Sean, you know, um, not being because the core of our disease is, is selfish, selfish and self-centeredness. So and that act of being selfless instead of selfish and trying to help others, you know, what I mean, and not being about myself um, is huge. But uh, yeah, the steps are what, it, it, like you, like they were saying, like changing that program, like changing it, and it's hard sometimes. Cause don't get me wrong, like, there's a dope fiend in me through and through, and on any given day it can pop out, and I'll be lying, or I can manipulate, or I could, you know, what I mean, old behavior, and I'll be like, damn, that his wallet's over there. I'd be, you know what I mean, <laughs> it's like that's, you know, what I mean, first thought wrong, and then it's like, what, what do I need his wallet for? I have my own, you know. I have money in my wallet, just like you got money in here. I mean, this. <laughs> I read something, and it was about how a woman thought about another woman. And she posted on her social media site, and she and it was basically about how she thought this woman was dressed like a slut. And then she said, "No, she's dressed how she wants to be dressed." And she said, "Am I a hypocrite?" And somebody responded and she said, my mom always taught me the first thing that pops into your mind is how you're conditioned to think. Mm -hmm. The second thing that pops into your mind is who you really are. Mm -hmm. And I guess that 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 would apply there. What what you're conditioned to think is, hey, there's a wallet over there. And who you really are is, I got my own money. I don't need that. (laughs) You know? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, that that's that's like a major thing, you know, is that to come in and want and put work in. Because it's a constant, like I said, it's a constant thing. You, know, you got to stay on top of it. The whole uh, disease concept, like it's a, a progressive constant work that has to go on top of it so that it doesn't get on top of you. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad used to always tell me, like, uh, your misery is easily refundable like there's a there's a monkey just throwing push-ups out in the parking lot well my monkey's always on my back <laughs> inside the parking lot it ain't very far <laughs> you know what i mean that's just waiting for that opportunity for me to give it like just a little bit of light so that it can so it can or darkness because they say what lies in the dark is dead in the light uh just looking for its opportunity to like wreak havoc you know what mm-hmm. what I mean? and uh, i try to stay on top of that as much as possible but I have another question. Um, what what would be your best advice for family and friends of somebody who is struggling with addiction? Like how how can how can we help them? Narn on, <clears throat> you know, narn on, Alan on. It's the same thing, like. You know, my family, I have a huge 
Italian family who, like, I was, I was the black sheep because I smoked cigarettes. You know? <laughs> so you can only imagine when they find out I'm shooting dope. You see my black sheep up there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what I, what I can look back now is, like, my family loved me almost to death. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my mother enabled me for years, um, and, and and it's real hard for the parents or the siblings to you know uh, disconnect. You know, but I I would encourage family members to um, you know find their own support group. You know, mm-hmm. because as sick as as we were, mm-hmm. the family was too. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you mm-hmm. know. Um, <clears throat> Oh, it can destroy an entire family. I mean, like you were saying, you know, you both were saying, I mean, you turned into somebody that you were lying and manipulating and stealing and, you know, and it wasn't really you. It was, it was the drug Yeah, I, uh, doing what it could do to survive absolutely, in you. Absolutely. And like, like it said, like he was saying, like the family, like me and they're like enabling us, you know what I mean? For so long, like I remember like because this went on for years, 10, 15 years that I was using and being such a spoiled brat that, like, I could call my aunt, she'd give me money at the drop of a hat. Like, I would, like, have, like, the craziest excuses. She'd be like, hey, baby, you know what I mean? Uh, so finally, like, being, like, trying to, like, tell them I need the help and them not understanding the help I need. Like, my aunt's like, oh, well, just go in the bedroom and sit for a little while and it'll be okay and you're going to be fine. No, you know, I was like, I need rehab. And she's like, yeah, I need rehab. But anyway, um, I wish they had... Um, like an R and or Al Anon because that's where they truly can get an education on how to better help their situation because all situations are different. You know, when you there's there's tough love that can come into play, there's more love that can come into play. It depends on the situation that you're more or less in, you know, because it took me to for the tough love and then making it harder for me to be able to to continue to go on with that life because they start pointing out track marks. Like, that's new. I mean, what you doing upstairs? You've been up there too long. Well, where'd this go? You know, and, like, it was a constant thing because once it got that hard, I was like, all right, well, this isn't easy anymore. (laughs) Before it used to be easy. I could just breeze in and breeze out, and there was no questions asked. But when they, like, started to really be on top of me, that's when it was hard. I was like, okay, this is something's got to give. But a lot of... In different, there's different situations for different people. You know, I've heard people that say, "I need more love." If I would have had more love, and my family wouldn't have given up on me, I maybe would have gotten sooner. And people say, "My family had too much love. Maybe they would have loved me a little less, or they loved me, but maybe they would have not enabled me so much. I could have got a little farther." You know, it's like it's just it varies. It really does. I think as a parent, you just you don't think you're enabling them because it's your child or, you know, you don't, I mean, if if you're, if your son or your daughter needs something or if they need, if they come to you and say, Hey, I need $40 for gas. You know, you, you want to, you want to believe that and you want to give that to them and you don't want to believe that you're enabling them to, to do something else with it. You know, so it's kind of, Right. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, you don't want to say no, right. but you don't want them to take that money and <laughs> do what, you know, right. whatever they're going to do with it. Absolutely. Or you don't want them to go out and steal from somebody right. because you know that that's what it's going to get to. Right. I've had friends that and I've seen people where their parents would like go buy them dope so that they would be safe. 
you know, wow. they feel like they would be safe, you know, and giving them money, being like, okay, we're going to give you this. Well, I don't agree with that. Probably not. <laughs> you know, I, mean? I don't think I would never suggest that to anybody. No. Uh, but I get, like you said, so they don't go out and do anything harsh or dramatic or kill themselves, you know, put them in any other type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were saying, like my aunt and my mom, my family, they just wanted to help me. So if I needed $30 every 45 minutes for gas, like they were coming out of their pocket to do what they could just because they wanted to believe I was doing something different with it. Like they didn't want to really look at it for what it was. Because like, like I said, for years and years this was going on, my friends were like, your family knows. They have to know. They give you so much. And I'm like, they, they know. You know, and I remember like sitting out of my aunt's office being like, I need help. And she was like, for what? I'm like, you don't know? <laughs> and they were like, no what? Like, no. You know, and uh, and that going on for still years after that. Like, they're just not not getting it. You know, mm-hmm. not maybe wanting to see it, closing a blind eye to yeah, it. Yeah, not wanting to believe it. Yeah, not mm-hmm. wanting to believe that their baby that they had raised with these morals and these values and to have this integrity had become this monster, mm-hmm. you know, but once the monster was bigger than all of us, they were forced to see it, you know, when, you know, they can't lay a dollar on the table without it being gone, or they take their jewelry off and worry about where it went, or, um, Sean said they'd be back in 15 minutes, it's been two and a half hours, you know, like, once the monster had got so big, and it was so real, they were forced to you know, do what they knew best, and, I, and like I said, with them making it harder for me, that's that's kind of what pushed me to want to get clean for sure. I remember too, my my family was gonna have me on intervention, <laughs> right? The show, and, and uh, one of their workers or whatever told my mother, um, "Picture you that money you give them. He goes and buys something and it kills him, mm. you know. And they talked her into." Uh, throwing me in jail, <laughs> you know, because you know I stole stuff and they got, they got, they could put me away. And um, look, she said that was the hardest thing she's ever done. And I look back and it probably saved my life. Yeah. You know, at the time I was like, you can't believe you did this shit. <laughs> yeah, you love you know, I'm a mama's boy. Yeah. You know? But but looking back at it now, <clears throat> you know, it saved my life absolutely. I'm not a big crier, but Intervention is one of the shows that I'm like, every time I watch it, and I'm just like, please let, please, please let him go to rehab. Please just say that you'll fucking go. Please just go. And then I'm like, okay, please, please stay there and just say that they're going to be clean. Just say that they stayed clean. And then I just, I, I, I get so happy for them. And it, there's such a high, like, I can't, like, quote numbers to you right now, but they would, like, in rehab, they would say, like, one for every ten people in a room make it. Like, I, I think wow. that, that, that I read that, like, 99 or 95% of people relapse. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because they're not getting the proper help, like you said, you know, for their brain and their head and their mind. Right. They're, uh, they're such a... I mean, a high risk, like, honestly, like, I mean, me or Dave isn't exempt from relapse, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could tomorrow wake up and be like, fuck this. You know what I mean? I'm done. Uh, and it could be over from off to the races with that simple as just one. 
and one drink, one drug, one anything, and I would be off to the races. So, with that being said, that's why it's a constant work that has to go in that people don't understand or people sometimes aren't willing to do so that they better the chances of not going backwards. Like, I remember hearing that percentage in rehab and, like, all the time, and they're like, well, are this many people going to make it? And I'm like, I want to do whatever I can to greater my percentile that I'm not going backwards, like, no matter what. Like, there's been a lot of no matter what's that have uh, occurred, like, in the last three years. Like I said, death, health problems, surgeries, you know, girlfriends, uh, friendships, you know, everything that strike that, uh, that, that core I mean, that shake us to the core where usually I was programmed to go numb it. You know what I mean? It's empty. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, you know what I mean? And now, like, I've learned to, like, have hope. You know what I mean? And they say hope, like, just hold on, pain ends. Like, and as long as I hold on and I don't put the first one in me, like, I don't have to worry about the next one. And if I, and t- hard times, struggles don't last. You know what I mean? Hard times don't do. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. I mean, I try to go by, like, these little cliche sayings that sound so basic, but at the same time are so powerful. And uh, they really have helped me in so many situations. <laughs> I actually like the both of them that you just said. Yeah. Was there any point when you, it's it, the lowest point of your addiction, I mean, were you ever scared when you did it, ever? I'd say, like, at the end when I knew that I was going to die because I got it. I lived with my grandmother and I lived with my grandmother and I didn't want them to have to find me right. in that manner because there have been times where like, I had caught a heavy nod or I might have fell out or whatever, who knows, and like woke up. I remember one time I woke up with my mother ripping, like, grabbing by my shirt and shaking me with my grandmother over me and they're like, what the hell are you doing? We are supposed to be watching my grandfather who's on his deathbed upstairs on uh, oh. freaking um, hospice. I mean, they left me home to take care of him and I like took the liberty to like kick back and relax and get comfortable and get everything spread out because I had time. Well, you know, you just like falling out or whatever and like waking up and the first thing I did was grab my needle and run out of the door because like I wanted, I needed more. You know what I mean? It wasn't, that was all I was worried about. Um, but I just didn't, you know what I mean? That was the only thing I was scared about, really, was, like, death. I knew deep down that, like, God hadn't put me on this earth to be a junkie for the rest of my life. Like, I knew there was more that I was supposed to do with my life and more I could do with my life mm-hmm. if I would just stop using it. And since then, like, the things that have transpired in my life that I could not even imagine, you know, like, I work with kids today, like, I'm a child care worker, and people trust me with their kids, you know what I mean, to, like, be That's a mentor awesome. and mm-hmm. an example. Like, when people would leave me with their dog for <laughs> 24 <laughs> hours, you know, or with anything of value, for that matter. But, like, today, like, being able to, like, be a mentor and a positive role model for kids and uh, even for you know, my peers, even, uh, in the rooms of being able to sponsor guys, like, I've been sponsored and help them get through their struggles and come out on the other side. But, yeah. but also, going through what you two have gone through, you can teach people things. When you haven't really experienced life or problems, right. you really can't relate to somebody who has problems. Right. right. You know? They say, like, we learn that, like, in this process, it's like one addict helping another is without parallel. 
like who can help me better than me? You know, someone like me right. that has gone through something. And that's the beauty of like all the all the struggles that I've had, you know, in the last three years with the surgeries and deaths, et cetera, et cetera. Like I can tell somebody how I did it. So uh-huh. they can do it how I did it and get to the other side as well. And there's been many times like when my dad died, like going in there and I'd be like, yo, I'm crazy, like I'm a mess, my dad died, I don't know what to do. And like someone pulled me to the side and being like, hey, this is how I did it. You know what I mean? And me doing what they did uh-huh. and being able to be successful, like it's huge. I think that's why it's, you know, the support group's so effective because mm-hmm. we, we get it. You know, I remember going to treatment and they'd introduce me to my therapist <laughs> and this chick or guy never used a day in her life. You know, and automatically I shut down, you know, because you don't know what it's like to go get a bag of dope other than diapers for your kid, you know, or you don't know what it's like to push your mother or father out the way to go get the next one, you know, and uh, you, you talked about like our lowest point and, and being scared. I don't at the end, man, I wasn't scared to use. I was, I was trying to use to die. You, like, you actually. I, I would get mad at God <laughs> that He woke my ass up, right. you know, the next day. Wow, you know, crazy is that? Because it, you get to, or I got to a point where <clears throat> I thought I was gonna die a, a junkie. You know, I, I kind of like accepted it. You know, when, you, when you're on, when you're homeless, and you. Your whole day consists of using, finding ways and means to get more, using again, finding ways and means to get more. And that was my life, day in, day out, day in. for months, job. man. It's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. You know, at the and that's why at the end, I'd be like, please let this one do it. Please. You know, then wake up and... Because mm. I know for myself, I was too scared to, like, do it to myself. Like, I used to lay, I remember laying in bed like, well, I just had... I chain outside, and I can go, and I can throw it over the raptor of the garage, and I'll go out that way. You know, and I'm like, wow. my grandma's going to pull into the garage and going to see me hanging, and what is, how selfish is that? You know, and not having the balls to hurt myself, but wishing that, like, that next one, like, I wasn't going to wake up, because I knew as soon as I woke up, it was back to the job. Time to shoot up, show up, and get to marching, like you said. Like, it was no matter what, like, for what it took. No matter who we had to push down to step over, whatever we had to do, like we did it, and um, it, it was right, right there is enough to. Um, it's a full time. It's legit a full time. And, and it's funny because I'm hearing him say that and now. That's what I. That's what we do to stay clean. Absolutely. Like I will march over you right. to stay clean. Uh-huh. <laughs> I will fight you for my clean day. Right. You will not take that from me. You know, I I stand. We stand up for our recovery all, all the time. Right. You know, it it's hard to stay clean. You know, when 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 the group's going this way, and, and I need to go this way. It, you know, it, it's it's real difficult to like stand up for for what you believe in and what you want out of life when when you're by yourself sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's worth it. I've yeah. Heard, like, Time after time, like integrity sometimes can be painful because when you stand for something, sometimes you have to stand alone. And like the people, places, and things that we've had to change from the streets also applies to recovery because not everybody comes into recovery and they're like, yeah, recovery, and I'm going to change this and I'm going to work on that and I want to be this better person and I don't want to be a liar or a cheater or this or that anymore. Uh, 
So I've come in with numerous amounts of support groups that have flopped in the last three years. You know I mean, because I knew what I wanted, what I wanted in this process, and what to get out of it, and I knew I couldn't get that with certain people. So you start outgrowing people, and you start moving in another direction, and because I protect that my clean day, you know, I, mean? I protect my recovery. And I do whatever I have to do. So if you're not driving in my life, no matter how much I love you or care about you, if we're not on the same page about the same things, you got to go. You yeah. Know, you really do. And it, I've, I mean, I've had friends I've known for 30 years uh, that I've had to be like, all right, well, that's that. Hopefully you follow suit eventually. But when you're ready, I'll be over here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, it happens all the time, all the time. I've seen people... Um, not let go of certain support groups and people, and they've been dragged down. And I refuse to be dragged down. I, I, I push forward, you know what I mean, and do what I got to do to get another day, you know, and keep stacking days. That's what my, my, my goal is. I just keep trying to stack days <laughs> as many days as possible. I, I think that's just amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is just truly amazing. And I would even like to see, like, my younger brother get into like something like that because with the way his body is he's not going to be able to you know work the jobs that he was working before and you know and so you know I said to my mother like maybe somebody should talk to him because he's been through so much and because he's done so much maybe it would you know help him to try and help somebody else you know I can just imagine, there's a, I'm sure, I, I'm not going to speak for your brother, but I can speak for, you know I mean, uh, from where I've been, and there's probably a fear of unknown, a fear of something different, and, yeah. because like you said, we're programmed to this way, so now it's like, you know, you want me to let go of all this that I've had for this life, and these friends, and this thing, for this long, to like, step over here into something completely foreign, that's right. for me, you know what I mean, that's, that's a scary thing, yeah. um, you know, and it's probably a, a huge thing for him. He's probably scared. Like, well, if I come off his method on them, what? You know what I mean? Am I going to go back to that? Like, that's what's going to happen. And yeah, not. I just I have a I have such a hard time, like with the suboxone and methadone because you're you're not. Right. I don't feel, and I don't know because I don't know a lot about. Right. That's, you know, and that's why I wanted to really, ask you guys. I, I just I feel like you're just substituting. You you're not treating it. Right. No. You're masking you're it. Putting a bandaid over a bullet hole. That's. Yeah. I feel and for me, I feel like it's the government getting you addicted to something else, right. and then making money off of it. Yeah. And you know, it's easier to lead zombies. Right. It's easier to control zombies. That's you know what I think, and you know they can do that. Rather than yeah. them actually taking the time and money to fix the problem. Absolutely. There is a, a scene in the paper that now they're going to have a methadone clinic or whatever, like, programs in the jails. So that when people come in and they are, you know, on drugs or whatever, that this is going to be their option. You know, this is what they're going to opt to because... The, the people of authority don't truly understand. And I've been involved in several groups, you know what I mean, trying to find a way to give back to the community and give them an education and awareness because, like, it has truly got so bad in this area that, you know, a couple last month I, or whatever, there was, like, eight overdoses within six hours. 
You know what I mean? And like six died. And like one of them was my best friend. I'm standing over his fucking hospital bed. Like, can we get it together this time? You know what I mean? Can we do something? And so, but getting involved with those those groups, you know, with uh, district attorneys and uh, judges and uh, governors and mayors and all that, like they don't, they're politically driven. Right. For sure. And they want to almost keep face that like they want to help, you know, but not wanting to get educated to help in the best manner like they possibly could. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I've tried to find my a niche and an outlet to be able to give back and give people the education and give them the awareness that they need so that they can get better in the best way possible. Yeah. You know, and that's like things like this, like you're so huge because you're, you're, you're really able to like touch a, a large field of people and spread a word. You know what I mean? Like, regardless if it's not the addict that's listening to this, you know, there's somebody that is suffering from, that knows an addict that is suffering. You know what I mean? Like, well, I heard on that show, this show, you know what I mean, these guys and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they might do some research and look into something. Addiction touches everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, just like everybody knows somebody in their family or extended family who has suffered from cancer. Then, you know, there is somebody in their family who's suffered from addiction. Do you guys think that there is a drug that is a gateway drug? <laughs> I did my senior research project in high school on marijuana and how it wasn't a gateway drug because I was so determined to prove that it was not a gateway drug. And there's um, all the evidence I've proven that it kind of was, uh-huh. but I manipulated it into that it wasn't. Uh-huh. Uh, and not necessarily say there's one in particular, but like once you open that door for myself, once I open that door to like that that whole avenue of drugs, it was like, well, I smoke weed, what's a, what's a pill? And I mean, well, I did these pills, it gave me this feeling, why not that, mm-hmm. you know? Which progressively led to, I mean, heroin. And I remember like, oh, I'm not going to shoot up, blah, 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 I'm just going to snort it, what led to, you know, shooting heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't really say, like, I would say, for me, it was marijuana, for sure, or mm-hmm. weed, whatever. But uh, definitely, but it's different for... Other people say, well, I took uh, Adderall, and you know, and then that sent me to start cocaine. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's true. What, what do you think? Oh, God. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I have mixed thoughts. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it all comes down to the individual because, like, um, I, I mean, it, it's it, it's proven that, that you know, uh, we react addicts react different to drugs than non-addicts you know uh so i used to think that marijuana was a gateway drug um but then i got i know people that you know use cocaine occasionally you know or use heroin occasionally like i I don't know how that works you know i can't do that i've actually heard of people who smoke crack occasionally and i was like i didn't know that you could do that (laughs) i was like oh okay some people can do that uh yeah um does addiction run in your families either one of your families mine does okay um no my father was uh when he passed had 28 years clean um 
I didn't get to witness any of his addiction okay. because he got clean when I was born and was I had like a year clean, had a baby, was married and all that, and I got divorced because my mom had already went through the ringer with it. But uh, I, I'm a certified recovery specialist, and I have taken classes and like got like a deeper learning of this, I mean, the disease concept and everything, and I learned in there that like uh, when – People are born with uh, a, a gene that is either dormant or active, you know, and uh, that's why I guess there are certain people who can just use, you know what I mean, successfully, randomly, occasionally, you know, and there's certain people that can't, you know, and it, it, we're born with a gene, and like some people just maybe are more active than others, you know, in a sense. Well, because when I, I, th- I figure that would be the same as drinking. Right. For me, I feel like drinking would be a gateway drug more than anything else. Absolutely. And like, it just depends on, I mean, like, on the person, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Because, I mean, I've talked about openly on the podcast before that I smoke weed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, 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 I do, and I'm open about it. I um, Actually, I used to have a lot of back problems, mm-hmm. and I was prescribed Percocets, and for the longest time, we thought it was kidney stones, and I was taking 30 Percocets a week. Yes. What? Yes. That, 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 that was my prescription. There, there was a, I, would, I would walk with a hunch because I couldn't stand up straight. Mm-hmm. Nobody could figure out what was wrong wow. with me. They sent me to a pain management clinic. At that point, I was like, yeah. and that was when the pain management clinics were like so big around here, and I was like, uh, no, I'm good. Right. Went back to my uh, primary care doctor, and I was like, I don't want any more of these Percocets. I said, I'm done. I'm in my mid-20s. I need to figure out what's wrong with me because I, you know, th- th- this is going to turn into a problem. She was like, okay. So I started going to a chiropractor because I was covered under my insurance because I, I did a little bit of research, and they said, you know, try a uh, chiropractor, then try acupuncture, and I knew a chiropractor was covered. And then I tried, you know, started smoking weed mm-hmm. and that has helped. I haven't taken any pain pills except for when I actually did have a kidney stone. Right. And since then, nothing. Yeah. And I was like, I, there, there was a point where I would take four Percocets at one time so I could stand up straight and work. I would be on the floor. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I know. I honestly, I took, when I was in labor with my daughter, early labor, I cannot remember for the life of me what they gave me, mm-hmm. but it was a half a pill. And I was just out of it. Yeah. And just, just, I don't. I don't like that feeling of not having any control over anything. And, right. and um, it was still very early on and, and the nurse came in and, you know, a couple of hours later, do you want another, do you want the other half? And I said, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, whatever you gave me, I don't, I don't want that again. I mean, four at one time, I, uh-huh. <laughs> you would have found me like over in the corner. And the thing is, is four at a time didn't even take away the pain. Oh, my God. It took the edge off so I could get through work. 
And that was it. The pain was always, always there. And it was always at, it was never below a seven. Wow. Yeah. And finally, I was like seeing the chiropractor, you know, at least once a week, smoking some weed only at night, you know, and that would help me go to sleep. I would wake up and I would feel like a normal human being. Right. And I told my doctor, I said, this is what I'm doing. And she was like, okay. I said, I, and I, I did. I, I was like, I'm being upfront with you. She was like, okay. I said, oh, by the way, when it's legal medically, I'm going to be asking you for it. Okay. Because I figured as my doctor, she should probably know what I'm taking. Right. And, you know, in case, you know, something would ever come up. See, for her, for them to just, well, do, you, do you want more? Do you want this? Do you no. want that? It's no. Like, it's like they're pushing it. Right. They push it onto you. Absolutely. And I agree with, you know, the both of you, especially you were saying about, you know, it depends on the, on the person. Mm-hmm. It, it depends on the individual, you know, sure. they just released a, a statistic that 80% of all painkillers in the world are taken in the United States, oh, 80%. And then they wonder why we have a problem. Well, right. Absolutely. And, um, they, and with the doctors not having the education that they need, because they're also, like, they make money off of that. Oh, I mean, yeah. They're making so much money off of that, they don't care. You know, and they want to be like, oh, we care about your well-being. You know, they don't care. They make money off mm-hmm. of that. You know, and then, especially, like, when they get addicts and stuff, they're like, you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? It's like, yeah. I've dealt with that. My buddy, when he broke his arm, he, uh, he broke, like, shattered his arm, like, for three days, he had it in a sling and had to have surgery, and they couldn't get him for three days, so he could feel the bone, like, just moving around. And the doctor's going, like, are you sure? Like, you need this. Like, let me send you with a pain doctor. He's like, no, I cannot. You know, and, like, it took me and another buddy, like, going in there and, like, looking at the doctor in the face, like, we need you to stop. Like, you have to stop this because we are telling you we don't want this, and you are insisting, which is not okay. Like, and he made it through. The whole time with ibuprofen, you know, after surgery. Right. There's other things that they can prescribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Cause pain pill. I took it when I had surgery. Right. They, the doctors, I'm, I'm, see, I'm, I got a bad bone for them. <laughs> you know, I just, they don't, they're so quick to write a script. Oh. You know, they're so quick. Oh, yeah. And they don't, they don't see behind the scenes. Of, of what happens should I take this stuff and I remember telling a doctor one time like because uh, he, he kept they, they push it they push it like no they keep pushing it and I remember telling him like I will uh, sell your car if I take this shit <laughs> right. you know like get it through your head I don't want it uh-huh. you know um, but they don't if they saw the damage and the destruction and where it caused us then they might you know, second guess themselves, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it's, it's a constant, like it'll be on your, on my chart. I verbally tell them and then they come back in with the, with the notepad. Right. You know, it's like, it's just, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's really aggressive. Like, like with my youngest brother, you know, but he was literally taking, he, he was taking methadone. Mm-hmm. He was taking Prilosec. Mm-hmm. He was taking 12 Excedrin a day. He was taking Tylenol, ibuprofen, and he ended up with three bleeding ulcers. One was outside that had perforated through his bowel, 
and it almost killed him. I'm surprised his liver was even functioning. His liver, it, it, they they checked his liver, and his liver was actually okay. His liver test came back fine, but the main artery going into his stomach, the ulcer, it was like they were kind of on top of each other, and they were bleeding each other out. Yeah. I mean, everything that he had taken had literally just eaten his stomach completely, you know. So now they had gone in, and he has half a stomach. You know, they had to cut that out, and they shut the main artery off. And, you know, now he's walking around with a feeding tube. You know, he had a drainage tube on on both sides for, what, four weeks? Yeah. It's been four weeks already. Yeah. Well, three weeks, maybe. Three weeks. Yeah, you know, and it, it's just, and he said to me when I, I, when he was in Sharon Regional before he was life flighted to Pittsburgh, um, you know, I walked in and I was so happy. I mean, cause he always had somebody who was always in his room, you know, and I just, I just wanted to talk to him, just me and him and not about anything. I just, I just wanted time alone with him, you know, and we were sitting there and he was actually, they had him sitting up in a recliner and he looked at me and he said, well, April, I think, I think I've about used my nine lives up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have. Yeah. And that's huge. You know, and I, I just stop, that. you know, because the next time that we're going to bury you, you know. It's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge, though, that and it's, it's lucky to have had that experience of that uh, we would call that probably a spiritual awakening uh, to realize, you know, like, I don't have no more in me, you know, because I've seen people bump their head off the same wall 13 times, I mean, and be like, and I'd be like, bro, you are so lucky to come out of that unscathed. Like, you're so blessed to even be with right. us right now. And then being like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah whatever. Awesome. Yeah. That's like, wow. I mean, one of the first times he bled out, he, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I kind of have a, a childish mentality. You think that just because you're in the ICU, mm-hmm. you're okay right. and nothing's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. But that was one of the times that he coded. He was in the ICU, you know, and I mean, it's it's been an ongoing. This, this last time wasn't, you know, this wasn't the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he... Ended up in the in the um, the transplant unit in Pittsburgh a couple of years ago because he took eighty Tylenol, wow. eighty, you know, and it it just you know I he said to me he said because I I was um, I had just gotten there uh, when they were rushing him down for the first surgery mm-hmm. and for me to see my brother get, they had the little oxygen, you know, because yeah. his airway, he was literally, like, he, he was as white as that sheet, you know, and, I mean, eyes rolled into the back of his head, and he couldn't breathe, so he was, like, gagging, and and to see them wheeling him down the hall like that, and mm-hmm. all because of the things that he just didn't think anything was ever going to happen to him, this, it'll, my life will never come to this, I can just take this and feel good, and go right. get the next one, and feel better, and... Right. It's so crazy. Just seeing what it does to your family. Right. What it does to our, like, the destruction we bring to our family and how our perception truly is in active addiction and how selfish we can be and how uh, blind to the reality of situations. You know, it's like, we don't, we think, like, I remember thinking in active addiction, like, this is nothing. You know what I mean? This is just 
mm, feeling good. I mean, and uh, not realizing the unmanageability and the the misery that I was self-inflicting to myself. You know, the bodily harm I was putting to myself, the emotional pain I was putting my family through for what? I mean, like for the next one. Mm -hmm. I've seen that recently. I had a buddy that like I was trying to help get get help and. You know, I was, like, able to sit back and, like, watch the situation. And, like, you know, his family's in the midst of losing their house. And, I mean, he hasn't worked in months. Uh, his wife just came home from rehab. And uh, just, like, the the chaos that it had, like, the disease had ran through this household. They have two little kids, you know. And, uh... Like, I just was, like, trying to go upstairs to the little kids and, like, talk to them and, like, seeing the pain on their faces, you know what I mean? And being, like, excuse me, and trying to, like, encourage them, like, a, like and bring some type of joy to their life. And it's, but this is, that's all, all of that, you know what I mean? It's based on, like, the disease of addiction, you know what I mean? And the destruction that we are self-inflicting on ourselves and our family members for the next one is insane. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful thing, it really is. Um, yeah, if you think about it, we're 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 the last ones to know right. that there's a problem mm-hmm. as far as the attic. You know, the family knows from the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, the friends know we're like us. Bad luck. You know, uh, yeah. like, I'm a second DUI. <laughs> I was just in a bad place, a bad time. Right. You know, getting going to forty some treatment facilities, right. um, thinking like uh, I don't know vacations you know but and then looking back now and realizing the the progression that took place Mm -hmm. you know from from field parties in high school (laughs) you know to wise guys you know and 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 i look back and like people people would go in there and have three drinks and go home that blew my mind you know that's a waste of money in my eyes you know i'm there to get trashed You know, and then um, just the the pills and 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 then the heroin and and the cocaine and and like being homeless and and being okay with it. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't like being homeless, right? You know? But put me out on on them drugs and like I'm a I'm not want to say okay, but I I, I condition to to survive right out there and. Just being the, like the last one to know, like, man, this is serious. Like, I need help. Mm-hmm. You know. I have another question too. I mean, so like with your wife, when you met your wife, was everything that you had gone through, was that in the forefront with her? Like, did you? Did Most, you? Well, she, my wife's you, in recovery. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, she knew. A large majority of my past coming in. Okay. You know. Wow. I just wondered, like, how, you know, like, how that works when, you know, you, if you meet somebody and. Start a relationship. Start a relationship with them and, you know, one of you is a recovering addict. You know, is that, is that something that. It's funny. Is right in the front. It's funny you said it. Listen, this is what I, this is what I've been through. Yeah. Cause yeah. she she just spoke at a um, <laughs> at a at a speaker jam where they get like 
you know, people from all over um, with with time clean and, and everybody, they speak uh-huh. to a group of us. And it's called a speaker jam. And she spoke and she said some stuff about when she was in active addiction that I I didn't know about, you know, and it, and it, at first it kind of made me like, I don't want to say, um, it took me off guard, you know, it made me a little uncomfortable, you know, but then I got to remember, you know, that's not the, the woman I married, Right. that was the woman in, in active addiction, and if you looked at me in active addiction, right. you better run the other way, <laughs> you know, I will hurt you. You know, and um, so I think we both re- really grabbed that well. That that's, yeah. That's not, and that's why, you know, I, well, I'm going to say me and Sean, like we, we go the extra mile to help people because they're, they're that's not them. Right. Like in active, they're driven by, by <laughs> ugliness. Just by know? a force that is just yeah. and when you, so much bigger than that. And when you help somebody and you see them get clean and you see the light come on in the eyes, you know, and you see the clarity in the face. And you see them, like, start looking at you in the eye as opposed to on the ground. And you right. start seeing them being productive members of society and stuff. That's that's the high now. That's a fix right Yeah, there. yeah, I've yeah. I've had uh, sponsors. Like, I've sponsored a few people. And I've had uh, a lot of ones come and go and one stay and ones, like, truly put some work in. And, like, recently, like, I was in a bad spot, I'd say, in, like, January. And I had lost all gratitude for this program, my program. You know what I mean? I was taking things for lightly. Like, oh, I have the nice car. I have the good job. And, you know what I mean? Whatever. Fuck this. I don't need any more out. Like, this is just enough, you know? And just taking it as, like, a grain of salt almost. But I had a buddy. I like, have almost three years clean. Like, whoopee. You know? And I had a buddy come home from rehab. And he came to the meeting in the morning. And, like, the desperation and the brokenness that I could see through his eyes. And I was just, like, it hit me like that. I was like, who, you were in position and have this. You know what I mean? Not have it. But, like, have come so far and gained so much and have so much knowledge. And here you are willing to throw it away. You know? So, at the same time, him, me helping him to, like, get better, he helped me. So, and, like, I was able to be his sponsor, and I've been guiding him through his life and so far, and him taking suggestions and being open-mindedness and see him uh, get a job, you know, get his kid back, get his own apartment, you know, throw his son a, a second birthday party that he's never been able to do before. And, like, the other, last week, it was last week, and I remember sitting in his house, and I said, can we just take a minute to reflect on this? Like, it's your first day moved into your apartment. You have furniture, you have food in the refrigerator. I said, you have your son. I said, you just do your son a birthday party. Like, how major is that? And like, he just like broke down the tears. And he was like, that's that's the shit right there that gives me like that that fix that no drug could ever ever feel. Mm-hmm. It's huge to be a part of people's journeys and watch them grow. Even Dave, he's I I seen Dave come in and he was a fucking hot mess. He still is a hot mess on a regular basis, <laughs> but a hot mess. And to see him. Uh, come in and buy into the process and put work in and receive blessings of it, you know what I mean? And I remember him, like, talking about, can, like, I had your car, my car in your garage because the repo man's coming to get it, you know? And now, like, he has uh, his the car, he pays for it, fine. You know, he has an apartment, he's married, you know, he's had, he sees his kids, like, he can go to work six hours away and come home, you know? And, uh, it's, it's huge, and, like, the bond that we've been able to 
to have, you know, even if he is six hours away, like we still can't stay in contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see people like grow is huge. Like, I mean, because like it's not something I can see in myself sometimes, and it takes somebody to point out, like, look at you. I'm like, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it, that's it's like it's we take it almost not for truly what it is because any addict with any amount of time clean from any drug is a huge blessing, like a miracle, let's say, is a miracle because, like, some of the disease of addiction is being so cunning and baffling and powerful, like, to be able to, like, escape that for the most part, you know, and to have, like, a choice is huge. So huge. Wow. Mm. Do you have any other questions? There's two two things, and then we'll. Uh, no, I I just I want you both to know though, you guys are very inspiring. I mean, it's like that's just amazing, you know, to do all of that stuff, and you guys came out on the other side. This is probably the podcast that I'm the most proud of. <laughs> it is. So I can't wait to have you guys back on. But okay, two things to uh, and then we'll finish up. Okay, um, what do you want? people to know who don't understand addiction who just who, who who are the ones that just say well just stop right. um i would say i would want people to know to like never give up like don't give up you know what i mean fight um and that it's so possible to you know come out on the other side and that uh you know, yes, it's not easy, but it's doable. Like, you can do it. You just have to want to do it. Uh, they say, like, this program isn't for people. Uh, the program isn't for people who need it. It's a program for people who want it. Um, and recovery is something that I want on a regular basis. So there's a difference between people who are forced to come in here and we, they come and they hope that they, like, <coughs> catch a bug and they see something, mm-hmm. you know, um, and stay. But... It's, it's so possible, you know, just don't give up. Don't give up on yourselves. Don't give up on your loved ones. Don't, uh, it's possible, you know, and it's, 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 there's work that has to go into it for sure. You just can't, uh, it's not something that I can leisure on on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Like if I stop going to meetings, I stop praying, I stop in contact with my support group, like I'm on my way back. Yeah, and uh, in order to not, I must continue to go forward on a regular basis. Dave, anything that you want people <laughs> to know who don't understand addiction? Well, I guess two separate things. Like for the addict that that's out there and, and thinking that there there's no help, you know, and, and um, like Sean said, like don't give up. Like there's people that truly understand where you're coming from. And they can help you, you know, for um, the families. Um, don't forget that, like, under the under the ugly mask is, like, a person. You know, because people treated me like an object for a long time, a piece of trash. You know, and I'll never forget, you know, um, <clears throat> like, I had a, I didn't have a fear of using, I had a fear of, like, when I died, like, what, what they was going to say about Like, what, what would my obituary say? <laughs> They'd probably be like, thank God he's gone. <laughs> you know, no, for real. It, but, you know, you see it all the time on, like, cops and, and in the paper. 
like a, they'll say another junkie died or something. Right. You know, they're, it, we're like human underneath. Mm-hmm. We just got a, a badass disease that right. wants to kill and destroy us. And like with without the proper help, we're in trouble. But with the proper help, man, we're like the most beautiful people on the planet, in my mind. And that's the last thing. Where is the proper help? I know, I, I know you said it before, like, what, for the addict and the families. Yeah, like, like what's, what's the resources that they could go to, whether it's online Narcotics or... Narcotics Anonymous. Okay. There's, there's Narcotics Anonymous, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, there's freaking Heroin Anonymous, there's Crack Anonymous, there's any, anything that ends in an A. Okay, you know, anything anonymous, Anything basically. anonymous, and um, there's, there's, there's avenues, and, like, um, a lot of... People that, that a lot of tools that people aren't aware of. It's like their their local drug and alcohol facilities. You know what I mean? If they go down there and you know ask for help, like they can point them into the right directions on how to. Because like it's one thing to be like this is there. You know what I mean? These are the avenues that are presented in front of you. So it's like, well, how do I get to those avenues? You know, and drug and alcohol, or you know, can't drug and alcohol can more or less guide you into that direction. Like. At Drug and Alcohol, they have certified recovery specialists, which I became, um, because I went down there and um, was so, like, I want to say ignorant to anything. I didn't know better of anything, and they were able to give me the ex- – the CRSs were able to give me the push I needed to the, the programs, you know, to the right people in the programs, you know, and uh, give me uh, education that like, I didn't know myself. And I was able to put the work in to, you know, it was left to me to have to do it. But I, I went down there and I was able to figure out how to access those things that were available, uh, which is huge because people don't know how, like, the tools and the things that are truly available to addicts. Like, even, you know, they have OVR that help people get jobs and help people go back to school and help people do all the things that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. Um, they have all types of things. And right now, and in Newcastle, they're trying to open, a, like, a, I want to say, like, a recovery, uh, like, mecca, like, of where, like, off the streets, because drug and alcohol is not always open. So they're trying to open up a place where addicts can go off, in the, off from the streets and get the help that they need, you know, get food, get shelter, get clothes, uh, get education, be in t- get put in touch with people that can better help them, uh, because that's, I mean, it's, it's, people just don't know where to get it from, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to make it more accessible to them um, is a huge thing that needs to, to change, I guess. You mm-hmm. know, people know where to go, they know how to do it, and it being open to them, you know, and available. And there's just like, like it's, it, it's getting really bad, and like that's why I've been trying so hard to. Like I said, to put it out there that I am an addict, you know, not to like gloat and show off the life that I have today, but like show that like these are the things that are possible when you get clean, you know, and hope that somebody will want to do it also. Uh, so that when they, I've had numerous people reach out to me on Facebook and do whatever and be like, I have a brother, you know, and he just don't want to get it. What can I do? You know, do you know what any rehabs? Do you know of any three-quarter houses? Do you know? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I do. And I can plug them in with different people in different ways. Um, so that's why, for myself, I try to take in as much as I can. 
so that like I can give it back as mm. much as as much as I, I have, so that I can help people in the maximum process possible, like in the greatest amount possible. You know, because you could ask me to come and and do this, and I'd be like, well, yeah, I'm an addict, and you know, I'm three years clean, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was able to have a little bit of process absorb so much and truly take in everything so that now I'm in position to give it back. Mm-hmm. And I have to continue to be open-minded as to take even more in so that I can continue to learn more and have a better education, a better understanding, and a, to give it back so that people hopefully will, we can save their life someday. Yeah, that's my goal. One day, and then my obituary, like at my dad's funeral, I don't want to cry, I might cry. Uh, they had nothing but awesome things to say about my father, you know, at his funeral and praised his recovery and how awesome of a man he was and this and that. And uh, I just want, you know what I mean, I want to be in a position one day that that's me and mine, you know what I mean, that they have not, no room to say not one negative or bad thing about me, you know, and... Uh, that's how I try to live today, is to, uh, you know, be like my dad for one, and uh, be the best man I can. Well, you guys are both on the right track, it seems like. Uh, yeah. So, well, thank you guys so much for coming on. For and No, we're definitely going to do this again. Absolutely. Because I'm sure that people are going to have questions, oh, and, I'm, yeah. and I'm sure that after listening to it, we're going to have a whole bunch more questions yeah. for you. Absolutely. Whenever, you know, I would love to. So if you guys have any questions for Sean or Dave, message me on Facebook, The Pop-Off with Martise, or on Twitter, at Martise M. That's at M-A-R-T-I-S-S-E-M. If you're struggling with addiction or know someone who is, there is help out there. I have a lot of links in the show description of many of the places that Sean and Dave talked about. And Sean and Dave, thank you guys so much for sharing your stories, and thank you guys for listening to The Pop-Off with Martise. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid.